Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks of the world who are embracing freedom and discovering purpose. Need a surge of inspiration? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited, joy-seeking entrepreneur who is on a mission to find like-minded, open-hearted freebirds to share their stories of triumph, struggle, and inspiration. Until you're ready for your own adventure, let's clock out and live vicariously through others who have blazed the trail. the next episode of Clock Out, The Vicarious Life. Today, I am honored to have, uh, we've got Air Kramus. She is a human trafficking survivor. She is doing fantastic now, taking over the world. She's an award-winning, best-selling author, human rights activist, and businesswoman. She is well on her way to becoming the first self-made human trafficking survivor to a multi-business CEO millionaire. Her goal is not monetary, but instead it's to prove that survivors and that People from any walk of life can do this. Welcome, Air. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Tracy. It's an absolute privilege to be here. Thank you so much. And you are chatting with us from the warm weather of Miami. Is that correct? Yes, I love it down here. It's so bright and sunny. I'm not having to wear a coat at all. (laughs) Yes, we're envious here in Montana. So jealous. (laughs) Jackie's favorite place in the entire world is Florida, so it is. <laughs> and considering that I, I, I promised you I would butcher your name, you are Scottish, is that correct? I'm Scottish by heritage, yes. And then I have a little bit more in me, but we won't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So have you lived your whole life in the United States? Not entirely. I've actually been across the world and lived in many different places. Um, I think we'll get into my story, so I'll dive into that a little bit later, but I've been everywhere, Tracy, everywhere. (laughs) Okay. Well, perfect. (laughs) Well, Eric, just give me a little little background as to what you're doing now. What does your business consist of? Um, I I know you've got a book or two, maybe three at this point. Just what do you got going (laughs) on in life? So I would call myself a multifaceted entrepreneur. I definitely do have multiple businesses. I have four books now. Mm. Two of them are best-selling books about my stories. And then also um, one reason why I got to travel so much because I did those tours a few years back. I also have a retail business called Flying With Air. It is headquartered in Miami, but we have a few stores now. And these are apothecaries and metaphysical shops. So very much in the holistic healing realm. And then I'm also, (laughs) I told you it's a lot. Uh (laughs) I'm also in real estate these days. I have my own podcast, Air Podcast, actually, and I can share that with you later. And then finally, but definitely the most important to me, is I'm the executive director and founder of Women Survivors, which is the nonprofit focused on helping human trafficking survivors receive mental health services. Wow. (laughs) You got a double wow. (laughs) That is a lot um, to cover. And you know what? I'm going to leave it to you to discuss in depth as much as you want on each of these based on what you think the world needs to hear the most about today. Give me a a run. I'm with you. I would say my overall calling is going to be the fact that I am walking every single day. I am working every single day to ensure that survivors everywhere from any walk of life 
I'm a human trafficking survivor, but there's a survivors out there, you know, of cancer, there's survivors out there of refugees, etc. Mm-hmm. But no matter what walk of life, realize that no matter what has happened to them, whatever their trauma was, that they can move past that, find their healing, and not only just find healing, but actually find success and hope and in their dreams to as far as they want to take it. So that's kind of the underbelly of everything I do. Okay, that that is your purpose, which we absolutely love to hear people that are filled with with purpose and making changes in the world based on that. That's it's the most honorable thing I think we can do to ourselves and to the the, the world we live in. So thank you for that. One hundred percent. I love that we're aligned. Absolutely. Um, tell me about the metaphysical shops. The the because I think or do you have three of them now? Um, so at the most, we had six. Wow. Lately, we have been kind of closing in a little bit of that umbrella mm-hmm. and focusing more on online and more on services. So we do a lot of spiritual coaching as well as mindset coaching in the stores lately. Mm-hmm. And that's been our 2023 focus. But to give you the actual origins of flying with air. So this is where I get to be vulnerable right at the start, Tracy and Jackie. Okay. Love it. I was basically, I would say about eight years ago, um, Flying With Air was born out of adversity, not necessarily out of mission. And sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Right. But I had graduated college and I had basically had three degrees. I have a degree in health and human sciences. I have a degree in nutrition and I also have a degree in organic chemistry. So I've been busy ever since. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I had huge admirations to become a physician. I had huge admirations to be able to work in the CDC, to be very specific. But I found that when I published my stories of my trauma, that my name was now public. It was now, you know, you could find it on Google. It was everywhere in bookstores. And I found that nobody wanted to hire a human trafficking survivor. No matter what my credentials on paper said, it was just a matter of I didn't meet their cultural fit. So flying with air and my journey into entrepreneurism actually was forced because, you know, you need to live, you need a job, you need money, right? We live in, you know, planet Earth. And I actually um, started working on my physical health because I was covered in scars and wounds. And I used my degrees to create products. So the very first product in Flying With Air was actually our scar oil. And I know you can't see me right now, but if you would have saw me back then versus right now, you would never put together that I am a survivor of anything because I don't have any scars on my body. I don't look or carry myself like I hold that trauma. So kind of ironic. And then ever since then, over the last seven years, Everything that's on our shelves, whether it is the cosmetics, whether it is the herbs or the crystals, has came from somebody coming into store or someone that we have met that had a condition or an ailment or was trying to grow in their spiritual journey. We put it on the shelf and we custom made it. And then we figured if one person needed it, many other people probably needed it. And we just wanted to be a home for that. Wow. So how big is your team? Because you you continually say we, I I mean, right out the gates, did you have a team or did you, did you make these products yourself and then grow? Tell me about that process. So uh, 
I will say, and this is something I actually shared on my social media yesterday, when you get started, nobody's cheering you on, right? It doesn't matter how beautiful your cause is. It doesn't matter how beautiful your mission is or what your purpose is. Nobody's cheering you on in the beginning. And that was kind of the case here is I was alone. Um, I was recently out of my trauma trying to figure things out. I had to go find people that were like-minded with me. And I would say the first probably six months to maybe even year, um, I was on my own. I did farmer's markets. I did online. I did Etsy. I did all the things that, you know, small business owners start out with and, you know, working those 90 hour weeks. (laughs) And it wasn't until probably, I would go ahead and say nine months, I started hiring employees and contractors. I had a blend for a really long time. And that's when I started working with our greenhouse managers and I started working with different people and like the retail and the sell side because that wasn't my strong suit in the beginning whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Again, I was a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, our team at its largest was, I would say, around 27 people. Right now, I have a more intimate team. My team right now is about seven people. Wow. So you, so you're, and this is, this is coaching I saw that you guys are planning a retreat. This is the product creation and retail of that entire business is now seven people. Yes. And they're amazing people. I found that if you get the right people on your team, it almost feels like a family. That's just the way I, you know, run my business. I run it where we actually know each other. We actually care. We want the best for every single one of us. And, you know, we get together on the holidays type of team. But I found with seven people at this size and this function that we have, they all have very specialized gifts and talents. They have their own role. Mm -hmm. But I'm more functional now with seven than I was at 25 people. Yeah, right, because you're not trying to herd all the cats. You only have seven now to herd. (laughs) (laughs) I think they herd me more, to be honest with you. (laughs) I feel that Jackie is my executive assistant and she, that is her, her title is cat herder and I'm the only cat. So, <laughs> so then are, are these, is your team remote? Cause I see that you've got Tennessee, you've got Miami, you've got another place, at least in Florida. Are, are these guys all in one location or are they remote across the country, the world? So I wouldn't say maybe two of them are partially remote because we do online coaching. So they'll do their coaching services through either a HIPAA compliance software or they'll do it through Zoom, depending on what type of coaching it is. Mm -hmm. And then they're only partially, though, because they do work in physical locations as well. Um, All of our team is either in Tennessee or they are in Florida. So, you know, I got those two places. We do have contractors that may be remote, Mm -hmm. but everyone, even at that point, is within the United States. Wow, that is that is incredible. How many hours? I know you said that you're you're very functional right now, but with all of these moving parts, how many hours do you personally work per week? Would you estimate? So this is where I get to give a shout out to one of my like great friends. His name is Mayrone, uh-huh. and he taught me about two years ago that I need to learn to take breaks. Yes, <laughs> and. I needed to learn how to balance my masculine and my feminine energy in order to become more successful in not just this business, but in all of my businesses, as well as a nonprofit. 
So the way that I currently function my schedule is I work for eight weeks and those might be hard weeks. And this is one of those weeks where it's like 60 to 80 hours. And then I take off a complete week. I go ghost and I will go travel somewhere, turn off my phone, or I will go um, deep into the mountains. I'll go hiking, those types of things. And I completely clock out, pun intended. Pun intended. I like it. Girl, we are on the same. This is crazy. So uh, I actually just got done with uh, six months of life coaching with a phenomenal woman. Her name is Deb Penner. You guys should get in touch. Um, And she taught me literally the exact same thing. She's like, Tracy, what is wrong with you is that you don't understand the difference between masculine and feminine energy. And I got all educated on the flow (laughs) of life versus the, the just go hard. Same thing. Same exact scenario, stepping back, relaxing, being able to actually restore my nervous system by taking breaks. And you're, you're right. You get so much more accomplished when you actually take care of yourself, take breaks, and uh, let things flow through rather than just hard forcing <laughs> more hours, Definitely. more time. So that, that is it's something I get to teach now because I had to learn it myself, and that's the way everything goes. You have to learn first, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Okay, well, so tell me about your books. Yeah, the first one, your best selling, which ones are best selling, and what's your topics, etc. Yeah. So my very first book, if we're going to go chronological, was actually Invincible. And Invincible was a collaborative project between 23 different authors that were all survivors of different walks of life. And I partnered with a nonprofit that was actually hosting the book. And my chapter in that book was about suicide tendencies and how to overcome them versus that did become a bestseller on its own. And that was amazing. And it kind of launched a little bit of my writing career, even though I've always been a writer. I've had a journal since I was about eight years old. And my first journal entry was even about my baptism when I was eight years old. It's a really cute thing. I <laughs> definitely don't want to publish it because it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's sure. cute. Versus my first independent book was published in 2015. It is called Model Stop Traffic, How to Dodge Enslavement and Pursuit of Becoming the Next Top Model. And that is my testimonial book that did become a bestseller and launched, you know, the book tours that came along with it and the activism that I do now and the speaking arrangements that I do on stage now. And that one changed my life, Tracy, because you, I honestly was a punk kid back then. Maybe I still am. I'm approaching 30, closer. And back then I was about 19. And I didn't realize how much that book was going to transform my life. And so when it hit shelves and when it hit online, it was a bestseller within 48 hours. And I went from being a nobody to, you know, you know, this happened to me. I was still very much in a victim mindset, survivor mindset back then. And suddenly people wanted me on stage or on television or to do interviews and talk with them about literally the most traumatic thing that had ever happened to me. So that was Model Stop Traffic. Shortly after, and by shortly for me, time's a little bit relative, about two years later, I published Trafficking Aftermath, which is how to find happiness after trauma. That book I call my survivor book. And that book actually covers things that happen after trauma that nobody wants to talk about because they're dark and they're ugly and they're murky and they're confusing. That goes back into the PTSD and the night terrors and the relationship trauma and the trying to 
you know, make it to the next day. And that's what my very first podcast episode was how to live and find the power in living the next day. So that also became a bestseller and that was phenomenal. And then I've done a couple more collaborative with other books, but my most recent book that hasn't hit shelves yet is called I Felt That. And this is my first poetry book that actually covers not just my trauma and those type of feelings, but also other walks of life because my trauma isn't everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was one chapter of my life. And this book goes into love, it goes into power, and it goes into freedom. And it's a complete collection of poetry and prose that I actually had the help of a AI do my oh. illustrations with me. So it's very unique because no one's ever combined poetry and AI together in a book. Wow, that is that is phenomenal. I, I love poetry. I, I like writing as well. Um, I carried, you know, wrote short stories and did all that from childhood too. So I think it's really cool because I left poetry behind as a kid. I think it's so cool that you're coming back after best-selling books to then bring poetry back in. That's, that's really cool. And I think the world needs more poetry. You have to learn how to balance, again, that masculine and that feminine energy. And for me, I think poetry is all about receiving, right? And exposing the subconscious and the soul. Mm. And that is what I wanted to do. In my first books, they were very masculine books. They were very much survival, you know, protect, mm. defend, go for it. You know, your next dream, your next goal. And I wanted to leave that energy a little bit and find some more balance in my feminine. So it was complete head turner. Everyone that I've been able to share the book with or my publicist that's like starting to promote it they're like how did we get from a to b yeah. and i'm like that's called healing <laughs> yes oh my god how beautiful i love it so tell me about your podcast what is the i i imagine i, I have an idea what the theme is but what's the style what's it all about what's the name so the name is super simple it is just my name and i think that's because I am not just one chapter anymore. I'm all the chapters of my life. Mm. So if you go on, you know, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, it's just Air Kramer, which super easy to spell the first part, you know, mm. just breathe. Yeah. <laughs> but the second part, spelling my name, you might link it in your show notes, but I it's K R A E H M E R. Everyone always forgets the H. And the topics have been phenomenal. Um, we are all about spirituality and growth mindset. And some of the guests that I've been able to have on have been, you know, New York Times bestselling authors or win-winning like entrepreneurs of different walks of life, but they're all from different industries. And that's amazing to me if you can find spirituality mm. in something, you know, like construction, but also, you know, in retail and also in healthcare. So it's not who you would think would be talking about spirituality, which yes. I think is a blessing. Yeah, no, I, so with, with my podcast, when I started it about, oh, nine months ago or so, there was no spiritual element whatsoever to it. And I found that in almost every conversation that I had, spirituality kept being brought up. And I'm talking with people that are, you know, success minded or entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, Okay, leave that word alone, um, non-conventional <laughs> type of living. And all of them kept coming back and having to, and they wanted to share their stories of spirituality. And so I actually implemented that into my show a little bit more. And I intentionally ask people about that just because it's, it's, it's so interwoven in through all of these 
these things. So I find it interesting that you you do the same. Um, I mean, I I had this guy. He was the coolest last week that I interviewed him. He'll be on my show uh, live here in the next couple of weeks. But he is all he, he does, and not all as in minimizing it, but the simplicity of all is picking up garbage in lots for commercial businesses. That is the entire business mm-hmm. plan, picking up garbage. And he he talked about his spirituality and how you know, and it brings it all back to the simplicity, the the um, the purpose, and all of that element of doing things through love and honor of his father. And, and, and he was, he brought spirituality to picking up garbage. <laughs> so yeah, all those walks of life. It's very cool. As long as there's a universal love with it, I don't care if it's picking up garbage or saving the world. Exactly. <laughs> so cool. So very cool. Um, okay. So would you, do you mind telling us your, you know, your story as deep or as lightly as you would on, on your um, human trafficking survival? Yeah, I don't mind. I've told everybody else by now. Why not one more person there or a hundred more people? Yeah. <laughs> so I will say it is a little bit of a darker story. So if anybody is sensitive that's listening to this podcast or, you know, maybe triggered by me sharing this story, now might be a good time to pause. And then we'll probably, you know, be laughing next time. And that's a good time to restart. Sure. So. <laughs> With that, I am a human trafficking survivor, but now I actually would classify myself as a thriver. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to listen to this story, and I'll tell it probably in about five minutes total, that realize I'm still here. I'm very happy. I would say that I'm very successful in every area of my life, even though I'm still growing in every area of my life. So remember, there's a happy ending. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in the modeling industry and in the entertainment industry. If you were to see me in person, I am about 5'9", maybe 5'10", on a bad day. (laughs) I'm a lanky, blonde, you know, I have that traditional 90s model type of aesthetic to me. And that's just natural for me. So that's just my body type. So I grew up modeling in the 90s in the era of, you know, Heidi Klum and Tyra Banks and all those lovely fashion icons we know of today. Mm -hmm. And I modeled with several different world-renowned agencies, as well as some of my mother agencies and more like private ones. But modeling took me about 43 different countries. I've lived in about six different countries, including living in the United States, living in Europe, in multiple places. I've lived in Thailand, even, and in Asia in a couple of places. So I've got to see the world and modeling does have those type of perks. But I also was basically on my own at a very early age. I don't know a lot of 13 year olds that can pay rent, let alone balance their checkbooks. But that was me. And I had to grow up quite quickly because of that. And I will say as far as my trauma goes, that didn't happen until much later in my modeling career. My modeling career composed of living in several different types of model houses or homes, which is not something to overthink. It just is where a lot of models in a group agency will live together just to, you know, have a place to be affiliated with, especially since there's a high turnover. You might be in one campaign for a week and be in Paris and then be told that you need to be in the United States a week later. So you don't have the, you know, you can't go rent a year in a certain place for a long time. It just doesn't really work in this type of industry. And so with that, 
my specific trauma actually happened in New York City. So it happened in the States. And I was living in a model home with about 24 different women from all different countries, all different languages. A lot of us didn't speak the same language. So that made it quite hard to, you know, communicate with each other. And over the course of about um, a few months, we slowly were being groomed by a human trafficking ring that was posing as a client for our agency. And our agency at the time, back then, human trafficking and even sexual assault in the modeling industries wasn't as popular. I actually sit um, and collaborate with the board of the Model Alliance now about human trafficking. So I highly promote, like, if you are in the modeling industry or if you plan to be in the model industry, to learn some of these things before you go in or if you're a mother before you go in. Because there's a glamorous part and there's, there's this underbelly of danger as well. So with that, the agency hadn't done due diligence on these people, and they started grooming and persuading and even kidnapping different women throughout the household. I was part of that group. Of the group, three of us were actually able to get rescued or escape, and I was trafficked for about four months during that time, and it was just a horrendous time in my life, to say the least. It was not you know, my model dream, it was my model nightmare or my fashion affliction, as I often tell people. But I was able to escape and get rescued and have the help of the FBI and the local police enforcement of New York to be able to get me back home. And that's when my healing journey started and eventually my activism. Wow. That's so I know that human trafficking has been brought to to the media's attention very aggressively over the past, uh, I don't know, I, I lose track of time too, it's relative. I'd say 10 years, I can remember, you know, I see posters all over, I see commercials, et cetera. Um, but mm-hmm. I still know people, and, and we're in a rural area, you know, we're in Montana, but I still know people that think it's completely bogus. Like they're in denial that this is even happening at all, much less at mm-hmm. the rate that it's happening. That's, I, I and I've never heard of, modeling of being a, a place I would never think that to be a place um, but it makes it hearing your story it makes total sense where you guys would have been a prime candidate to be to be trafficked I mean all like like you said no not even speaking English some some people not speaking English it's it's um, wow just wow I will say that Montana is not in the top 10 cities for it but it is places definitely that you would not traditionally think of. Like number one for human trafficking in the United States is Houston, Texas. But you also have Atlanta, which is known for the entertainment industry. You have Miami, which is known for the music industry. You have New York City, which is known for the fashion industry. You have LA that is known for the television industry. So all these different places. And not to say that it's just in these big cities that are, you know, industry-based, but you got to also remember there's Las Vegas as well, which is known for all sorts of different things. So with that, um, it can happen anywhere. A huge way that human trafficking does happen is through the truckers industry, which is why there is the um, Truckers Alliance for um, preventative human trafficking, because that's a lot of transporting, especially not just, you know, models, but any type of human trafficking victim. So you have people that are immigrants, like you mentioned before, that may not know the language. We also have domestic servitude. You have organ trafficking. You have child trafficking. 
And then you also have um, sexual exploitation and trafficking. So there's different categories as well for trafficking. As far as being prevalent in the United States, depending on what type of trafficking it is, will really depend on where it is. So for instance, I would assume a place like Montana, a very rural area, would be a place where agricultural human trafficking may be prevalent because there is a lot of land out there and a lot of resources that need to get made and created. And anytime somebody that has been forced or coerced or even, um, what is it, uh, forced, coerced, and fraud, those are the main ways that you traffic somebody. So anytime where that choice has been interrupted, trafficking can occur. So it may not be, you know, the glitz and glammy type of sexual trafficking that most people do recognize these days. It may be in a more dark or more private type of way. But we're mainly looking for those three key things. Has choice been interrupted by fraud, coercion, or by force? Wow. That's, yeah, I, I hear the most being sex trafficking and child the, the other things like it, it's not even something that we hear about here. So, I mean, I, I, people like you, organizations like you, the truckers Alliance that you, I mean, it just, it can't be talked. You're the second guest that I've had in the last month, actually, that's been talking about, um, about trafficking. So it's uh, that, that's what the world needs is just more people talking and becoming aware of it first. Cause we can't make change with, without awareness. Exactly. And I will say that I primarily work, especially with our nonprofit, FWA, Women Survivors. We work on the rehabilitation side. So I definitely agree that prevention and awareness and talking about it, just to break down the stigma that people don't know about it, is vital. But it's also vital. Um, there's three different ways that you can counteract trafficking. There's the prevention and awareness. There's rescue, which is well, you know, thankfully, I got to be part of at one point. I was actually undercover at one point working with the FBI and law enforcement. And even as a PI at one point in my life, that was my justice chapter is what I would say. Uh-huh. And with that, super important. And we work in close alliance with our current nonprofit. But my work that I do on a daily basis is actually for rehabilitation of survivors of not just human trafficking, but of sexual assault. Sure. Because there is a huge gap in the system to be able to provide mental health services to survivors. Most survivors don't have health insurance, right? Or have an identity when they first get out. So how are they supposed to be able to unlock some of these psychological traumas? So with that, everything is going to be important in that whole like pedigree of figuring it out and unlocking it. But having these conversations is definitely a good way to start. Absolutely. Well, that is, that's an amazing story, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you shared it with our listeners, and the work that you're doing is, I mean, absolutely should be commended, and I'm going to get your book. I can't wait to read it. I'm going to pass it on to anybody and everybody I can. Um, so, Please do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so what's what's next? What are you currently working on? What's, what's the plans for the next couple years? Anything that's worthy of sharing? Worthy of sharing. I think that was your key phrase just now. (laughs) So I am working, as you know, my hands are in a few different buckets. Um, My primary goal is always, you know, fueling that survivor healer journey. And with that, um, we do have flying with air. I do plan to always have a, you know, a toe in flying with air, but my team has become more independent over the years. And I've been super thankful for that. 
we are focusing a lot on these services and the coaching as well as our like primary 2023 goal, as well as that spirituality retreat. Mm-hmm. I will be there. So if you want to meet me and spend, you know, five days with me, um, whether, you know, it's coaching or you just want to hang out for five days with me, yeah. I will be there. So go ahead and, you know, register for that one. But with that, I also am focusing on the podcast, which kind of aligns with the Flying With Air journey. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually moving into a slightly different chapter of my life where I'm going to get back on stage again. And with the publishment of I Felt That and with the activism of the nonprofit, I plan to do more motivational and coaching on a mass level on stages. So I've been working hard to get that TED Talk, to be honest with you, (laughs) as well as working with different conferences, different universities to be able to talk more about the rehabilitation of survivors and mental health and the vital importance. So I'm actually heading in a couple of weeks, maybe not even a couple, it's actually in one week, I'm headed to Silicon Valley because I'm looking for investors that want to partner with us in the nonprofit to upgrade our servers and to upgrade our app. That way we can reach more survivors to be able to partner them with therapists. So that's my heart goal mission mm-hmm. of the next, I would say, one to two years. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah, you're, you're not ambitious at all, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, to, right. I no rejection quite well. So I'm like, okay, let's just go for it. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? It already happened. So why not? Yeah, yeah, that's that's perspective for sure. Er, um, I have a question. So for people that, you know, aren't fully aware of all the different human trafficking and stuff like that, what are things that just regular people can watch for to help you know, with maybe the rescue and stuff like that? Yeah. So there's different categories or different signs. Um, I call them red flags in model stop traffic. If There's an entire section dedicated if I would have saw the red flags or somebody would have taught me about the red flags. Maybe this would have never happened. But depending on the circumstance, especially as like a normal person may not be, you know, attuned to it, you really want to look out for scenarios where there seems to be a differentiation of power. And I'll go deeper. I'll go with like an example. And I'll even go with a real life example that I witnessed in an airport, actually. And I feel like some point at some time, everyone's been in an airport, whether it was a big airport or a small one. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I was actually sitting in one of those airport restaurants. And I had already published my book. So I was even more kind of keen eyed, but I feel like anybody would have recognized this as an unusual circumstance. Mm. So there was a gentleman, a woman, and then a younger woman in this group. So here's already one of those type of things where you're like, oh, I thought this was only males that, you know, traffic young women. And that's not always the case. Sometimes we get what's called mothers or other people of victims or even other traffickers that are also female. Again, we're looking for a differentiation in power. So in this particular case, the older gentleman, I would say, was probably maybe in his mid to late 50s. The woman was in her, I would say, 40s. And this younger girl actually looked like she could have been a teenager or in her early 20s. 
depends on, you know, the circumstance um, that may fluctuate. And then sometimes the victim in the case doesn't have to be a young girl. It could be a middle-aged woman. It could be a young boy. It could be a man. There's so many different ways. We're looking for that differentiation of power. Sure. But what I noticed whenever I was sitting in this um, airport restaurant is that the person that was in control was the older gentleman. And he was actually holding all of the documents of not just him, like, and I'm talking about the ID, I'm talking about the flight information, I'm talking about, you know, those critical things that are about your identity, right? You can't go anywhere without your ID most times. You can't go anywhere without your wallet, without your cash. That is actually, you know, power in a lot of cases. If you don't have that, what are you going to do, right? You can't even prove that you're supposed to be here. He was holding the documents in a folder, but not just him, but also for the other two women. And that to me is already kind of a red flag of when you go flying, Jackie, or when you go flying, Tracy, who tends to hold on to your ID for like your life, even throughout security? Right. You, you hold do. Your own like, right? Yeah. <laughs> you hold your own. You hold your own flight. You hold your own suitcase. You hold everything. In fact, if you listen to the intercon systems, they're telling you, don't let anybody touch your stuff over right. and over and over. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is definitely a red flag because it showed that he was in control of the power dynamic that was occurring during those travels. Now, the same type of power dynamic can be in somebody walking into a retail store or into a restaurant. They don't have their own documents or they're not allowed to speak to the hostess or to speak to anybody. They are being spoken for. Now, that's normal whenever it's a super chat, like a child, like a two-year-old. Two-year-old's not going to tell you necessarily what they want to eat, right? But it's very strange whenever it becomes like an older dynamic, like two gentlemen. They don't tend to order for one another. They tend to, you know, have one person and then they take turns. Same thing in like a family dynamic. So those are easy ways to be able to tell like, hey, does something feel a little bit wrong? Is your intuition acting up Mm -hmm. and you're looking for that differentiation of power? And I'll say that again and again, because I want that to be the driving route home. Sure. So follow up question to that just for very, you know, uninformed. This is a new concept type of listeners. Why, what is preventing somebody, say, in this airport from making a scene and telling an authority right there? I mean, there's, there's law enforcement walking around. Like, what is the, is, I'm, I'm assuming it's fear, but could you go into that a little bit? Fear is definitely one of the driving forces of victims. Mm-hmm. Now, fear is not always personal. Fear can be intrapersonal as well. And I'll even go into like what I mean by that is the fact that most cases, whether it's organ trafficking or sexual trafficking or child trafficking, traffickers will use psychological tendencies to be able to induce fear. Mm -hmm. For instance, let's say, and I don't know, but let's say in that dynamic at the airport that the woman's daughter was actually the one that was across from her, Mm -hmm. right? In that type of case, their threat might be to the daughter if the mother does not do this, right? Or vice versa. There's also a lot of shame in what I call, and actually it's not even what I call it, it's what it is called, Romeo and Juliet cases. This is where I could see this happening in somewhere like Montana. Mm -hmm. You have a public school system, and there is a lot of pressure, and I work with a lot of teenagers to have 
you know, the fancy things, to be beautiful, to be popular on TikTok, all of these types of things, I would say, when we were children, didn't exist and or not exist to the degree that they're in now. So what a Romeo is, is a trafficker or a messenger or a person hired by traffickers to lure in young children. And these would be school age children, whether they're middle school or whether they're high school. It does happen in middle school as well to convince them that they're receiving this type of love. And at that age, they're super young and impressionable to where when they receive gifts, they feel loved. Sometimes they're not getting attention at home. And that might not even be the fault of a parent. Like the parent might be working two jobs to put, you know, food on the table, but the kid doesn't always register with that, right? Like they register that mom or dad isn't home, right? right? So they're receiving attention and gifts and what they perceive as love from an older entity or from another child because traffickers will use other children for luring. So in those type of cases, and just like sharing trafficking in general, you have to see it in a holistic type of view. It's like, does something seem off? Sure. Wow. That's, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm going to read your book. This is a topic that I'm just very, very interested in. And I thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, for the sake of respecting your time, I promised it would be under an hour and we're creeping up on that. Um, will you share with us where we can find you, where the best places are? And of course, I'm going to put this in show notes as well, but what's the, the best one-stop shop to learn all about air and your cause? So the best one-stop shop, I have to break into two. I'm sure. sorry. I That's fine. Two technically because there's <laughs> one's a nonprofit and one's a profit. So there has to be very big differences there. Mm-hmm. If you want to connect, as far as coaching or as far as learning more about human trafficking and, you know, want to see me speak at your conference or with your team, anything of that regard, or even um, learn about the podcast a little bit more, then I would say to go to flyingwithair.com and flying like an airplane. Um, and so that one is going to be where if you're interested in crystals or cosmetics or anything of that regard, Go check us out there. We would be privileged to have you as part of our journey. And then on the flip side, if you're someone that has been privileged to be able to go through life or has earned your way through life and had a talent or a treasure or some time to volunteer at the nonprofit, then that one is going to be Women Survivors Flying With Air. I have made it so easy to connect the bridge because if you go to flyingwithair.org, you'll get to the nonprofit because it will redirect you to the actual nonprofit page. We are a registered 5013C down here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And our mission is to connect human trafficking survivors and survivors of sexual assault with an online therapist or an online light coach. So if you want to donate or, you know, an engineering team, or if you host an engineering team, we are looking for people to help us out with that mission as well. Wonderful. Okay, Air. Well, again, thank you so much for your your time, your energy, and your inspiration. We're incredibly grateful. I'll make sure that I put all of this information in show notes, and I'll share it back to you as well as soon as we are published and live with this podcast. Um, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. It has been a privilege, both of you guys, Tracy and Jackie. Thanks, Air. Thanks for listening. For more on this guest, simply check the show notes. Like what you hear? Please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Together, 
we can grow and inspire. 